everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode, we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we're going to be talking about the case of Aravindan Balakrishna. So we have a cult story today. Yes, that is right. And this is not just any cult. This is a cult from the UK. And being from the UK myself, I was just shocked by this. Because don't get me wrong, the UK has its fair share of terrible true crime. I mean, some of the most notorious serial killers ever are from the UK. But you just don't hear about British cults that often. But what is even more shocking about this case is that this cult operated right in the middle of an ordinary London neighborhood for over 30 years. They were literally hiding in plain sight. The cult was led by a man named Aravindan Balakrishna, and this man really was your stereotypical cult leader. He was very narcissistic. He thought that he was godlike. He was extremely manipulative, very violent, which is pretty much your typical cult leader, and Aravindan was pretty much the worst. But there were some absolutely horrific things going on in this cult. People were being held in captivity. There was extreme brainwashing going on, terrible violence, and horrific sexual assault. But worst and most shocking of all, the one thing that stands out the most about this case is that there was a baby born into this cult who was held captive and kept hidden from the world for 30 years. For 30 whole years, the only thing that this baby knew, I mean, obviously they grew up to be an adult, the only thing that they knew was this cult. Can you even imagine being born into a cult? So we have a hell of a lot to get through today, and I really do mean a lot. This is going to be a roller coaster, and there is also going to be talk of sexual assault and child cruelty and just not very nice topics, so just be aware of that before we dive in. So with all of that being said, let's jump in. Aravindan Balakrishnan was born on the 16th of July, 1940, making him our official first cancer. Mm -hmm. And Aravindan does go by the names Bala and also AB, but just for the sake of this video and to make it less confusing, I'm just going to be calling him Bala. And Bala was born in Kerala, India. And because of his dad's work, he did move to Singapore when he was 10 years old. Now, Bala was extremely intelligent, which is something that he would definitely use to his advantage later on. And he was also a pretty short child. And even as an adult, he only ever grew to the height of five foot three. Now, Bala would get repeatedly told by his mother that he possessed supernatural powers and that he was also possessed by the occult. Now, I read that she thought that he was possessed because he used to swear quite a lot and he used to curse other people when he was angry, which I don't exactly think that that means you are possessed by the occult, but that is what his mom would think. It was enough to make Bala truly believe that he was possessed and had supernatural powers. And this is definitely something that he would tell everyone everyone later on in life. I feel like already, even as a child, you can see the potential cult leader in him. And apart from that, not much is actually known about Bala's childhood, which is really annoying because I do like to look into the childhood of the people that we cover on this channel because I do think it plays a part. And Bala is definitely someone that I would have liked to have known more about his childhood. Now we are jumping to Bala when he's aged 23 and he arrives in the UK for the first time. And obviously this is where 
the rest of the case takes place. And I do just think it's really shocking that this cult happened in the middle of London. Like how did no one know about this? It was literally happening under people's noses. And once Bella arrives in the UK, he really does start to become the cult leader that he clearly has always wanted to be. So Bella had arrived to the UK on a scholarship to study at one of the London universities. He threw himself into the school politics of his university. Bella believed that the UK was turning into what he said, quote, a fascist state. And Bella's solution to this was radical communism. And in particular, he closely followed the teachings of China's chairman Mao. And to be honest, what Bala believed in was actually really confusing. And to be honest, I don't think Bala himself even knew exactly what he believed in. But basically, just to make it really simple, Bala was basically anti-establishment, anti-authority. He hated being told what to do. He thought that the UK government was overbearing, too controlling, and a revolution was needed to put a stop to this. So throughout the 60s in the UK, Bala was handing out leaflets. He was kind of preaching on the streets to people to believe in the things that he believed in. And he was involved in a lot of protests, which involved a lot of clashes with the police. He also joined quite a few political organizations, but his views were so extreme that those organizations, which were already extreme in themselves, kicked Bala out. And I feel like you see this a lot with cult leaders where they originally join organizations or religions or anything like that. They try and overthrow that organization fail and then get kicked out because that's basically what happened with Bala. So because Bala was kicked out of these organizations, Bala basically took on the mentality of, you know what, screw you, I'm going to start my own organization. And this is where the cult is born. He set up his own organization called the Workers Institute. And I really am fascinated by cults. I've looked into quite a lot of cults in depth. And I feel like this is just the beginning of every cult. I feel like there is just a handbook that they all follow. So Bella had about 25 loyal followers that joined him in his new organization. And him and his little group of followers would go onto the street, hand out leaflets, try and talk to as many people as possible, try and recruit as many people as possible into their organization, or should I say cult. Then to make things even more culty, 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 is that even a word, culty? Whatever, I'm going with it. To make things even more culty, they set up a headquarters in just an old building in the middle of Brixton, London, and all of Bala's followers lived in this headquarters. So yeah, it's just a cult, it's just a commune. And all of these followers, which was like 25 people, would sleep in this headquarters on the floor. Now Bala at this time wasn't the most strict he definitely gets worse. But Bala at this time only had one rule. And that is that all men must sleep in one room, all women in the other room. And nobody was allowed to have sex with one another apart from Bala. Bala was allowed to have sex with anyone he wanted. It's like, could you get any more stereotypical cult leader? It's like, literally, why is that always a thing? Why is it that the cult leader always wants to have sex with absolutely everyone but bans sex for anyone else? Now, this group 
I should really just call them a cult, shouldn't I, were a nightmare for the neighbours because obviously they're just in this random house in London. So they do have neighbours. And this group were very hostile, rude, argumentative to the neighbours. They were causing so much trouble. They were basically just really rude and dismissive to anybody that didn't hold the same beliefs as them. So there was this one incident where clearly a neighbour was having a party, I don't know, a little get together, and they were creating a little bit too much noise. And Bala did not like this. So Bala got a meat cleaver. We're going there. He got a meat cleaver, stormed into his neighbor's house. A man was just standing on the stairs, kind of leaning on the banister. And Bala got the meat cleaver and swung it to hit the man's arm that was on the banister. Thankfully, that man moved his arm in time and the meat cleaver was just stuck in the banister. But it's just like, what the hell? Bala has literally gone to hack off someone's arm because they're making too much noise. It's like, imagine just being in your house. There's a little like barbecue party or something and a neighbor, a strange, crazed, possessed man comes into your home with a meat cleaver to hack off your arm. I'm sorry, but that is terrifying. And Bala was reported to the police and he was sent to prison but he was only sent to prison for two months. Two months. I'm sorry, but the UK needs to get its act together with these prison sentences. And after Bala was released, after these two months, he was even more riled up. He hated the British state even more. He was spreading even more lies, more propaganda. He was saying that the British state were framing him. There was another time that he did also get arrested. Again, though, his prison sentence was only a few months. It's like, seriously? And when he was in the court, when he was being sentenced, he wasn't paying attention to anything that was going on. Instead, he was just chanting the words, quote, death to the British fascist state, victory to world revolution. And then after Bala got out of prison that second time, he decided that he wasn't going to risk it anymore. He couldn't be out in public, out in the open, doing what he was doing. He needed to go underground. And this is where it really really does get very cult-like now. Like this is full-blown, we are in the cult now. So we're moving into the 80s now and the group are moving into a house that was given to them by the local council. Bala told everyone that they needed to drop off the radar in order to protect themselves from the British state. Bala told all of his followers that they would need to cut off all ties with family, friends, they would need to leave the house as little as possible. And after hearing this, a lot of his followers were just like, yeah, nah, this is not for me. I'm out. But Bala was left with a few loyal followers, which were all women, I should add. And there were eight women who were all prepared to move in with Bala into this house in Brixton and basically follow him and do whatever he wanted. Now, now is probably a good time to kind of list off the followers that were in the group. So we obviously have eight women. One of the women was a woman named Chanda and she was Bala's wife. I know, Bala has a wife who is now a dedicated, loyal follower. Then there was Chanda's sister who was also in the cult. I don't actually think she was there by choice. I think she was made to be there. And then there were six other followers who were Sean, Josie, Aisha, Leanne, Cindy and O. And Sean is probably the most significant out of those followers. Now, Sean first met Bala when she was at university. She was in her early 20s. She was an extreme 
extremely gifted person, but she had kind of become a little bit lost, a little bit disillusioned with life. And she was just really craving someone to guide her through life, take her under their wing. And this is when she met Bala at university and she got taken up with him. She started to believe his message, his beliefs. She completely cut off ties with all of her friends, all of her family, and became probably Bala's most devoted follower. Now, as well as Sean, the six other women had a very similar profile. They all met Bala when they were in their early 20s, when they were at university, all of them were just a little bit lost, didn't really know where their life was going, craving just someone to give them a little bit of direction and they met Bala. Bala could see that they were a little bit lost, took advantage of them and then they became a follower in his cult. But what is absolutely crazy is that one of the women in the cult actually gave up an engagement to be in the cult, which I think is just absolutely crazy. Like how does Bala have that much influence? So these women just literally packed up their lives said goodbye to their old lives and moved into this house in Brixton. Bala told the women all the time that everyone outside of the house was an enemy and a member of the evil British state. And basically the group, which is now known as the collective needed to hide themselves from the British state so they could start a revolution. Pretty much with all cults, what you find is in the beginning, the people in the cult are really devoted, really believe in the message and everything that the leader is saying. And this is exactly the case with the women in the cult. They were full of hope, full of optimism. They were literally hanging on every word that Bala said. Bala created this us against the world mentality. He gave his followers was purpose. He gave them an identity. As with all cults though, this us against the world message soon turns into me against you. You must do as I say. I am the greatest. Bala started to tell the collective more extreme stories about how powerful he was, how he was the greatest, the almighty. And Bala was just slowly brainwashing his collective. He was slowly manipulating them into believing that he had these supernatural powers, that he was this almighty being. He did it in a way that was so slow that the women in the cult probably didn't even realize that it was happening. Bala then started to tell his collective that he was God. Yeah, let's not beat around the bush here. He was telling his followers that he was God, literally God. And like I've said, like, could he be any more stereotypical cult leader? Bala also told the collective that he was the ruler of the world. And I'm being deadly serious here. He said that he was the ruler of the world. Conveniently for Bala, he was the secret ruler of the world. He said that because the British state was out to get him, he had to rule the world in secret. So this explained why no one else in the world knew that he was the ruler of the world. That's just very convenient, isn't it? I literally feel like I'm just listing off the most ridiculous things in the world, like ever. But here's another one for you. Bala also told his followers that he had mind control. Yeah, he possessed the power to control your mind. He could literally create earthquakes, thunderstorms with just a click of his finger. He also said that every war ever in the history of the world, so every single war, he was responsible for. 
And I feel like this is a very good time to point out that Bala was also claiming to be immortal. He also claimed responsibility for the splitting of the atom and the moon landing. Basically, any significant advancement or event ever in the history of ever, forever and ever, Bala was responsible for. I told you he was egotistical and I definitely think that Bala has to be the most egotistical person I think I've ever come across. But Bala didn't do this completely on his own. Clearly, even he thought that it was a little bit too far-fetched to believe that one person could be responsible for all of this. So Bala had a sidekick who he called Jackie. And you're probably thinking like, who's Jackie? Like, who are they? Well, they're not even a real person. They are a made up figment of Bala's imagination. It was just a made up character for Bala to use to manipulate his followers. So Jackie is not even a person, it's actually an acronym. So Jackie stands for Jehovah, Allah, Christ, Krishna, Immortal, East Warren. And Jackie was this all-powerful machine, this invisible computer that only Bala could control. Again, very convenient that Jackie is invisible and only Bala can control it. And Jackie could do pretty much anything, whether it was the mundane things of just turning on the kettle, turning on a light switch, to the more extreme things like literally causing a person to just drop dead, or even destroying a whole country with just a click of Bala's fingers. So basically, Jackie can do everything and anything. Whatever Bala wants, Jackie will do. And these were the kinds of things that Bala would tell his followers. And I think it's very easy for all of us right now to just sit here hear things like that and almost laugh and not really take it too seriously because we are not brainwashed for starters. But to us, this sounds completely ridiculous. It's almost like, well, how does anybody believe that such a thing can exist? But Bala's followers are completely brainwashed at this point. They hang on every single word that Bala says so they believe him. So now we're getting to the part of the story where Katie is introduced. Remember, I spoke about her in the intro, the baby that was born into the cult and held captive for 30 years, which that in itself is just completely mind-blowing. So the series of events leading up to the birth of Katie is that Bella's wife, Chanda, was pretty seriously ill. And she was so severely ill that she had to be hospitalized. And she was in hospital for quite a long time. So now Bella is living in a house with seven other women and his wife is in hospital. And I feel like we all know where this story is going right now. Because pretty much like every single other disgusting, creepy cult leader, Bala decided that he wanted to start having sexual relations with the other women in the cult. But the thing is, the sexual relations were not consensual, let's just say. So all seven of the women were sexually abused by Bala. Bala started by forcing all of the women to perform oral sex on him. And if any of them refused to do this, Bala literally threatened to kill them by using their pressure point on their throat. So he is literally threatening to kill these women if they don't perform sexual acts on him. And it only escalated from there because from the oral sex, he then forced the women to perform very humiliating, degrading acts on him, which I'm not going to go into detail because honestly, it, I don't need to. Just think of really humiliating sexual things that someone could force you into doing. And that is what Bala was forcing the women to do. And it wasn't long until he was raping 
all seven women on a daily basis. This sexual abuse happened every single day. But it didn't stop there. Oh no, of course it didn't because Bala actually created a rotor so he could sexually assault the women on a fixed schedule, which I'm sorry, just adds another layer of absolute sickness to this whole thing because this rotor would just be on the wall. So the women that lived in this house would know exactly what day and what time they were going to be sexually abused, which I'm sorry, if that is not another level of sick, I don't know what is. The women were given one hour time slots to be sexually abused. And even after his wife returned home from the hospital, the sexual abuse did not stop. I actually don't know if his wife was aware of the sexual abuse because all the time Bala would just find reasons for his wife to leave the house so then Bala could sexually assault all of the women in the house, which is very hypocritical, isn't it? Because not too long ago, he was preaching to all of his followers that they were not allowed to leave the house. But now all of a sudden his wife is allowed to leave. And this sexual assault went on for years, years and years. One of the women later testified that she was sexually abused. I think she was raped every single week for six years. And I just find it really heartbreaking that all of these women really did believe that Bala could kill them with just a single thought. If Bala wanted to, he could set Jackie on them to kill them, which is why they almost willingly participated in the sexual abuse, which is honestly just so sick. And it's just so absolutely heartbreaking. And it was because of all of this sexual abuse that one of the women fell pregnant. And this woman was Sean, which I said was a very key character in this story. So this is when Katie was born. She was born into this crazy cult. And as you can imagine, she did not have a normal upbringing. Katie wasn't actually given the name Katie at first. That is just the name that she has chosen herself later on, which is why I'm using her chosen name. Instead, at birth, Katie was given the name Prem Malpinduzi, which translated to love revolution. And it was at this point that Bala introduced the rest of the group to something that he called Project Prem. Bala decided that Katie was going to be raised like no other child had been raised in the world. Instead, Katie would be raised in isolation, without love, without family, without outside influences, so she could remain pure and safe from the British state. Bala could not risk Katie, quote, becoming soft, which meant that she was to be shown no love, no affection, no close human contact, nothing. She was basically to be raised the complete opposite of how a child should be raised. This also meant that Katie was never allowed to know who her parents were. Even though Bala and Sean knew that they were obviously Katie's parents and the rest of the collective knew that Bala and Sean were her parents, no one was allowed to tell Katie this. Instead, Katie would be raised collectively by the whole group. Everyone was just supposed to believe that Jackie had brought Katie into this world somehow. And this just doesn't even seem real, does it? Like it doesn't. How can anybody do this to a child? And it's unbelievable what Katie had to go through because on top of all of that, she was never allowed to be comforted. The group was strictly forbidden to show her any comfort 
any love. So when Katie was a baby, and I need to stress this, newborn baby, when Katie would cry, like a baby does, the group were just instructed to ignore her. And if Katie, as a baby, couldn't be controlled, Bala would resort to violence. Bala would beat Katie until she was covered in bruises. And this situation is just really hard to imagine because obviously the group kept Katie fed, they kept her warm, they kept her clean, but they didn't show her any love. They didn't hug her, they didn't comfort her, they didn't play with her, they didn't talk to her. A child needs this. A child needs a safe pair of hands. A child needs comfort, they need love, they need fun, and Katie had none of this. Katie was also never allowed to visit the doctors, and this went for the whole group, not just Katie, the whole collective were never allowed to visit the doctors, the dentists, and literally, and I mean literally, everyone in the collective, their teeth were all falling out. It didn't matter how much pain people were in, people were not allowed to go to the hospital, to the doctors, because Bala despised Western medicine. And if anyone was seriously ill or sick, Bala's solution was to tell the person who was sick to meditate and concentrate on him. They needed to devote their mind to Bala, concentrate on him, only think of him. And if they did that, they would get better. And if they weren't getting better, that meant that they weren't doing it properly. And because of this, Katie, along with quite a few others in the group, were left with serious, undiagnosed, untreated, health problems. On top of all of this, it was decided that Katie would never be allowed outside the house. She would never be allowed to go to school. She would never be allowed to play, to have fun, to ride a bike. She wasn't even allowed to run. Pretty much everything a normal child wants to do and is allowed to do, Katie wasn't. And it just is crazy that she wasn't allowed to run. Like that is just something that I can't get my mind around because children run. Children play, children have fun, but Katie wasn't even allowed to run. Instead, Katie would be completely isolated, completely alone with Bala as the only influence in her life. And this, as you can imagine, had absolutely devastating effects on Katie. I mean, of course it did. The only thing that she knows in this whole world is Bala and this cult. And she has literally no idea about the rest of the world, about how she should be living. This is normal to her, which is truly heartbreaking that her life so far has been so miserable, but she thinks it's normal. But the brainwashing only gets worse from here because when Katie was old enough to walk and talk, there was obviously a risk that she might escape. So Bala brainwashed her into being absolutely terrified of trying to escape to ensure that she never would. Bala told Katie that she was a high priority target of the British state who wanted to capture her and kill her. She was told that everyone outside of that house was a member of the British state and she could trust no one. There was one time on the rare occasions where Katie was allowed in the back garden that a child from the house next door saw Katie in the garden and started to wave at her like a normal child. Before Katie could even respond, before she could even wave back, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Katie didn't even really know what a wave was, which is just really sad. But before she could even react, 
two of the women from the cult rushed outside, grabbed Katie and dragged her back in the house. And when the women got Katie back inside, they said to her, what were you doing? That child was a member of the British state. That child was sent by her evil grandparents to capture and kill you. And this is just one of many examples of the extreme brainwashing that Katie went through because Katie is a child. I think she was about three years old when that incident happened. She is going to believe the adults around her because children believe adults. At this point in her life, Katie has no reason to not trust the people that she's living with. And it wasn't just Bella that was brainwashing Katie. From that example, you could see that the women were also participating. And Katie went to bed every single night having nightmares about everyone outside of the house trying to kill her. And after that little incident where Katie was in the garden, from that moment on, Katie was never left alone. She was with someone 24 hours every single day. And I do mean she was never alone. Whenever she used the bathroom, someone was there with her. In the shower, someone was there with her. Even when she went to bed at night, one of the women had to lay down next to her and she was never allowed in the garden on her own again. Katie was told that if she ever went by the windows, if she ever looked out of the windows, one of her enemies would see her and capture her. And if she ever picked up the telephone, it was always the enemy on the other end and they would send electronic waves through the phone to kill her. She was also told if she was to ever step foot outside of the front door, she would suffer what Bala called spontaneous human combustion. And this is another thing that's completely unbelievable, like none of us believe this, but Bala had managed to convince all of his followers that he could spontaneously make any of them explode at any moment with just the click of his fingers. And Katie believed this. Of course she did. She's a child. She has no perception of anything else in the world other than what Bala is telling her. And can you imagine how terrified Katie would have been? I mean, she's a child and her head is being filled with all of this death of killing. Katie is literally terrified to move, to put a foot out of place because she is constantly worried that she is going to be killed. And there was just an absolutely horrific incident when Katie was just four years old, where as punishment, Bala threw Katie outside of the front door and Katie went into an extreme panic. So all of this started because Katie was ill. She was throwing up. There was clearly something wrong with her. She clearly had a stomach bug or something like that. And she kept vomiting everywhere. And Bala was becoming infuriated at her because Bala was telling her, you need to meditate. You need to concentrate on me and then you will be cured. But obviously if she has some kind of stomach bug, some kind of infection, that is not going to work. So she wasn't getting better. So because she wasn't getting any better, Bala dragged her through the house, threw her on the floor by the front door and literally started kicking and stomping on her head. And I feel like I just need to remind you all that she's only four years old at this point. And then Bala, still completely enraged, grabbed Katie and threw her out of the front door. And then he just shut the door. So Katie four years old, is now outside of the front door for the very first time alone. She went into a complete panic attack. Her lungs were closing up, her head, she was getting dizzy. She didn't know what to do. She was screaming. She thought that she was going to get killed. She had always been told that if she stepped foot outside of the front door, 
she would be instantly killed. So at four years old, she is now in a full-blown panic attack because she thinks that someone from the British state, an enemy, is going to come and kill her. Even though she is incredibly weak from being sick, remember she's still ill, she has been beaten up, she finds strength to get up and start beating her fists on the front door, trying to get them to let her back in. And finally, after what must have felt like a lifetime to Katie, Bala let her back inside the house. He then said to Katie, that he was willing to show her mercy and forgive her for what she has done. He made Katie believe that she was the one that needed to apologize to him, that she should be grateful for Bala letting her back in, for saving her life. <sighs> oh my God. Another thing that just makes my blood boil. And this tactic that he did is just classic cult leader, isn't it? Classic cult leader 101. Life for Katie and the other women in the collective operated under a very strict schedule. And I mean, literally everything that the women and Katie did was down to a very strict timetable that Bala gave them. First of all, they were all required to attend his daily lectures where they were all made to stand during these lectures, maintain eye contact at all times. And if any of them broke eye contact, if any of them sat down, they would be beaten up by Bala. During these sessions, the collective were made to recite Bala's quote, truths and they were forced to say the words Bala is God, God is Bala, Bala is knowledge, knowledge is Bala and they were made to recite this over and over again every single day and if that is not brainwashing I don't know what is. There was also a chore rota that was scheduled and all of the women had to take turns doing the chores around the house. Of course Bala did nothing. All of the meals were scheduled. They had to eat at the same time every single day. The women obviously cooked the meals and Bala always had to have the first serving of every single meal. Also during meal times there had to be silence. No one was allowed to talk. Even afternoon naps were scheduled every single day and whenever Bala took a nap everyone else took a nap. Even his showers were scheduled and it was imperative that one of the women from the collective would turn on the shower for him. I know he can't even turn on his own shower and this was seen as a great honor bestowed on you if you were the one chosen to turn on his shower. And then after his shower, someone would also have to turn it off. Again, this was seen as a great honor. And then this next bit is just completely unbelievable. So the 16th of July and the 16th of October were both very very important days and both days were celebrated. So we know that the 16th of July was Bala's birthday. Well, the 16th of October was the day of his conception, which he also saw as a day to celebrate. And then at the start of every single day, the collective would stand together and sing songs of praise for Bala to celebrate his existence. And obviously these songs were written by Bala. I just can't believe it. Like the ego on this man is absolutely unbelievable. Like I said, do you not think that this is the most egotistical person we have covered so far on this channel? And as you would expect in a cult like this, if anyone ever stepped out of line, violence would soon follow. Slaps and punches were a common occurrence multiple times a day. Katie would often see the women in the cult with thick blood coming from their nose and their ears. 
on a daily basis. And these beatings could come from anything, from a minor transgression, such as breaking eye contact. The women were also beaten if they ever complimented each other. One time, one of the women said that they liked another woman's hair, and Bala beat them up. But what made everything just a million times worse is that these rules could change on a daily basis. So Katie and the women of the collective constantly lived in fear that they were breaking a rule that currently didn't exist. Everyone in that house constantly lived in fear. And when Bala would attack the people of the collective, if anyone ever intervened, ever stepped in, the beating would be 10 times harder. But what is the most tragic thing about all of this is that most of the time, the women of the collective would snitch on each other to Bala. Bala had managed to create the atmosphere where all of the women would turn on each other. They were all jealous of one another. They all hated one another because they all wanted to be Bala's favorite. So the women would think that if they snitched on other women and Katie, they would become the favorite. So not only do all of the women live in fear of Bala, but they also live in fear of each other. Except for Katie, Katie never turned anyone in for any rule breaking, but the women would always turn Katie in. Katie was not immune to any of this, even though she was a child. And Katie was forced to live under stricter rules than anyone else. She was forced to wear genderless clothing. She was forced to have her hair short. She had been completely stripped of any identity. She wasn't allowed to daydream fantasize. She wasn't even allowed to giggle. How do you stop a child from giggling? It's like, oh my God, it's hard to imagine. And like I said earlier, she wasn't allowed to run around. She wasn't allowed to do anything normal for a child. And if any of these rules were broken, so if Katie giggled one time, she would be beaten up by Bala. And sometimes he would even use objects to beat her up, like a ruler, um, wooden spoons, slippers, shoes. But most of the time, it was with his own hands. And he would beat her until his own hands were bruised. And then he would turn around to Katie and say, look what you've done to my hands. Bala would tell Katie that it upset him deeply to beat her up. But the bruises on her skin were a sign of his love. And sadly, the woman that turned Katie in the most to Bala was Sean, Katie's own mother. Sean was the one that betrayed Katie at every turn possible. She would just stand there and watch Bala beat up her own daughter after she had turned her in. There was even a time where Sean forced Katie to eat her own vomit as a form of punishment. And understandably so, Katie had a huge hatred towards Sean. Like out of all of the women in the collective, Katie hated Sean the most because she was the most evil. Katie had no idea whatsoever that Sean was actually her birth mother. And Katie had to suffer like this every single day from the moment she was born all the way through to her teenage years. Not only did she face violence on a daily basis, brainwashing, manipulation, she has also said that her life was mind-numbingly boring. She literally had nothing to do with her day. Every single day, there was nothing to do, ever. Even talking to the other people in the household was frowned upon. Like, it's just so hard to even imagine. I know I've said that so many times already in this case. I know I'm a broken record, but it really is just hard to imagine what her life would have been like. Because there was literally no one in the house for Katie to talk to, 
she found herself talking to objects just around the house, like she would talk to the bathroom tap just for company. The group did move around a bit. They did live in quite a few houses and most of the time they just moved around to avoid detection. But apart from that, Katie has said that every single day consisted of the same 10 step schedule. Every day was exactly the same. And I have the 10 step routine here. Number one, lectures. Number two, singing. Number three, writing four, food, number five, afternoon nap, number six, bath time, number seven, study, number eight, discussions with Sean to debate if I've been a quote, good soldier that day, number nine, food, number 10, more lectures. Even Katie's toilet breaks were restricted to one to two minutes and they were all living through this, all of the women, even though the women are obviously not completely innocent themselves, they are completely brainwashed. They are all victims of valor. And I'm sure you're probably asking because I asked multiple times during my research, why did no one leave? Why did no one try to leave? Especially the adults who should know that something like Jackie doesn't exist. Because obviously Katie, she's a child. She's grown up in this environment. She knows nothing but this environment. But the adults, like, they should know better. And there were times where a couple of them did try and leave. But it's not always that simple. One day, one of the women in the collective, a woman named Leanne, just stood up and said, I'm leaving. And as you can imagine, this did not go down well with Bala at all. He actually ordered the other women in the collective to hold Leanne down whilst he beat her up. But after this, Leanne was not deterred. She still wanted to escape, but this time she decided that she needed to do it in secret. So one day, she actually did manage to escape the house and she made it from London to Southampton. But as soon as she got to Southampton, she was lost. She didn't know what to do. She had spent so many years in the cult, she didn't know how to operate in the real world. So she phoned Bala and apologized to him and begged him to take her back, which he did. She then stayed in the house for another year, but thankfully in 1989, Leanne actually did escape from the house and she never returned. And then three years later, in 1992, another member of the cult escaped, a woman named Cindy. She had been beaten so badly over the years that she had completely lost the hearing in one of her ears. And one day she decided that she had had enough. And like Leanne, she escaped and never returned. So two members had now successfully fled the cult. And this made other members of the collective question how powerful Bala really was because he had been preaching all of these years that he could kill any one of them with a single thought. But the women were starting to think, but if these two other women have escaped, and they escaped and they're completely fine, how powerful is Bala? After years of manipulation and brainwashing, Sean finally started to open her eyes. This was now December of 1996. Katie was currently 14 years old, and Sean was finally seeing through Bala's BS and seeing him for what he really was. She finally started to see all of the contradictions in his teachings, in everything that he was saying. And one day she just went up to him and said, if you're immortal, if you're God, why are you aging? And uh, you can all imagine that Bala did not take too kindly to this. Huge arguments broke out between Bala and Sean. And as you can imagine, a lot of violence took place as well. One time Katie found Sean completely tied up 
her hands, her feet tied up. She was gagged. And apparently Bala said that he did this because Sean had tried to escape. And then things calmed down. Bala untied Sean. Everyone thought, okay, everything's over now. It's all calm. Everyone went to bed. But the very next day, Katie heard screaming coming from the back garden. And Katie rushed out to find an absolutely horrific scene. Sean's body was lying there, crumpled on the concrete floor. Sean had fallen from an upstairs bathroom window. Her neck was broken and there was thick blood oozing from her head. Bella told someone to call an ambulance and then he said, quote, don't touch her. It might be used as evidence. Someone might say, we pushed her. And I know what you're all thinking, because I'm thinking it too. Yes, I am. It's like, why would you say that? Hmm? Why would you say that unless you pushed her? Hmm? So Sean was rushed to hospital. Apparently, Bala was all of a sudden okay with her going to the hospital. The doctors treated her and Sean was paralyzed from the neck down. Sean was kept in hospital for months. And at this point, Katie had started to figure out that Sean might be her birth mother. She'd actually come across her birth certificate and on the certificate, it said that Sean was her mother. Bala had told Katie though that that document was fake and to not believe it. However, Katie, she's now 14. She's not stupid, you know? She's not believing everything that Bala is saying anymore and she is starting to figure out things. And Sean is in the hospital right now. She is literally clinging to her life and Katie at this point doesn't think that she's ever gonna see Sean again. Who she's just figured out is her birth mother. But amazingly, Katie is allowed to visit Sean. And when the visit is over and it's time for Katie to leave, Katie plucks up the courage to say something to Sean, even though she knows that Bella is not going to like it and she's probably going to pay for it when she gets home. But Katie says to Sean, bye bye, mommy. And at that exact moment, Katie said that she saw something in Sean's eyes. She saw love for the first time time, Sean's whole composure completely changed. And in response, Sean said, bye bye baby. In that moment, Katie was filled with questions. She wanted to scream, are you my mother? But tragically, Katie was never able to ask that question. She was whisked out of that room before she could even get another word out. And five days later, Sean fell into a coma, eventually passing away. And Katie would never see Sean, who was her birth mother, ever again. The police did investigate Sean's death, but because Sean was actually in the hospital for seven months, and because so much time had passed from her initial injuries, it was impossible for the police to determine whether she jumped or whether she was pushed. So Sean's death was ruled as an accident. I definitely have my suspicions. I do. I mean, I don't have my suspicions. I believe that he pushed her. Sean was trying to escape. Obviously, it is very plausible for someone in her situation to want an out any way possible she wants to get out. Bala literally had Sean tied up the day before. Then an argument broke out and apparently she fell out of a window. And then the first thing he says is don't touch her. It could be used as evidence. Someone might say we pushed her. Who says that if you haven't pushed them? I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. I am not buying that it was an accidental death. No way. But if you thought one suspicious death was bad enough, well, it doesn't end there. And this happened just four years later. A woman named O fell in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. 
suspicious. And when she'd fallen over, she had hit her head and she was severely injured and she begged Bala to allow her to see a doctor. But Bala refused. Bala would not let her see a doctor. And the next day, she tragically passed away. She had suffered a stroke from her injuries. It is reported that she died of natural causes and no police investigation was ever done. So that is now two perfectly healthy adults suspiciously dying in the cult in a relatively short space of time and no one was asking questions. More and more time has passed and Katie is now in her 20s and I feel like we just need to stop and pause for a moment and remind ourselves that she is 20 years old but this has been her whole life since birth and the older Katie got the more she started to question the world around her. Now, Katie was given one luxury in life, and that was reading. She had been given a limited set of books and she devoured them. She loved reading. She read pretty much anything that she could get her hands on. It was her only form of escape ever. And then when Katie was in her 20s, Bala allowed her to read the Harry Potter series and the Lord of the Rings series. Bala had granted Katie this luxury because he strongly identified with Harry Potter and also Aragorn. It's like, really, Bala? You're choosing Harry Potter, who I suppose you could call the chosen one, and then Aragorn, the rightful king of Gondor. You couldn't be further from the two, okay? And Katie agreed. When she read the Harry Potter series and the Lord of the Rings series, she actually thought that Bala was more like Voldemort and Sauron. And once Katie had started to question Bala in her mind, it opened up a whole new world to her. She finally realized that she doesn't want to be a part of this. She doesn't need to be a part of this and that she wanted to get out. So at the age of 22, Katie made her first escape. And this took an absolute enormous amount of mental strength. But somehow Katie managed to flee through the back door and Bala didn't notice. And Katie being in the outside world was absolutely terrified. She had never known this world. She had always been told that the outside world was evil. She literally had no clue what to do, but she spotted a passerby who thankfully wanted to help her. Katie was like, please, please, please help me. And the passerby pointed her to a police station. And then when Katie got to the police station, she didn't know how to articulate herself. She didn't know how to explain her situation. But Katie also didn't want to get Bala in trouble. She just wanted to get out of there. So Katie being at the police station, all she could say was, I've ran away from home. And unfortunately, the escape didn't exactly go to plan because the police, after hearing Katie just say, I've ran away from home, phoned Bala up to come and collect her. But it's just so heartbreaking that she finally gathered the strength, the mental strength to leave because obviously she was so terrified of the outside world, she had left. And within what, an hour, she was back at the house. And unfortunately, Katie would spend another eight years in that house before she ever tried to escape again. The failure of the first escape had really hit her hard and she fell into a really deep depression after this. But there was actually a huge significant event that happened to Katie during these eight years and that is that she got 
a boyfriend. I know, you're probably thinking, how the hell did this happen? Because Katie is under all of these strict rules and regulations and everything. Well, after she escaped the first time, Bala started to worry a little bit that she was going to escape again. So he did loosen the reins a little bit on Katie. He gave her a little bit more freedom. And by giving her a little bit more freedom, I literally mean she wasn't monitored 24-7. She still wasn't allowed to leave the house. She still had to do all of that 10-step routine and everything every day, but she just wasn't monitored every second of every day. One of her neighbors was a man named Roddy and he would see Katie sometimes at the window and him living next door, he would pass secret letters to her from his window. And they started to communicate through letters and before long, Katie was sneaking Roddy into her bedroom at night and Katie completely fell in love with Roddy. Being with Roddy was the first time Katie had ever experienced love, companionship, and it wasn't long before Katie fell pregnant. And this was music to Katie's ears because she finally felt like she had something to live for, that she had a purpose. But one night when Roddy was in Katie's room, Bala walked in and everything fell apart. Bala completely lost it. He threatened to kill Roddy if he ever returned to the house. And then after Roddy left, Bala beat Katie up so severely that she had a miscarriage, which is just honestly heartbreaking. It's horrible to even think of that happening. And Katie and Roddy obviously didn't really see each other after this moment because Katie was terrified. And this part of the story is honestly so tragic because Katie finally was happy, you know? And Bala has taken that away from her. And he's also murdered her unborn baby. And obviously this had a massive impact on Katie because she just felt like everything had been taken away from her. But eventually Katie did try and escape again. And this time her attempt was successful. So it's now 2013. It's crazy, isn't it? That this happened literally in modern times. So it's 2013 and Katie is now 30 years old. And her and the other members of the collective were given a new privilege, and that was watching TV. So one day, Katie and another woman, Josie, were watching the news, and they saw a number appear on the screen that was a domestic abuse helpline. Katie was actually really ill at this point. She had undiagnosed diabetes, and she was losing a drastic amount of weight. Katie begged Josie to remember the number and phone the helpline to get Katie help. And miraculously, Josie agreed to help her and they made the call. And when the responders on the other end of the line heard what was going on in this house, that women were being held captive in just a random house in London, they sprung into action to save Katie and the other women. The police got Katie, Josie, and the third remaining member of the collective, which was a woman named Aisha. They got them out of the house and into protective custody. The police stormed the house and Aravindan Balakrishna was finally arrested after getting away with abuse, torture, imprisonment for decades. And I'm not sure how many of you saw that coming, but we kind of have a happy ending to this case, even though this case was absolutely horrific. But there is somewhat of a happy ending because Katie managed to escape. And when the story of this cult finally broke in the media, people were so 
shocked. I mean, there was this cult operating for decades just in a house in London on a busy street. Three women who claim they've been held as slaves in a home in London for at least 30 years have been rescued by the police. A 69-year-old from Malaysia, a 57-year-old from Ireland, and a 30-year-old British woman were all rescued. All three women were highly traumatised and were taken to a place of safety where they remain. We have seen some cases where people have been held for up to 10 years, but we have never seen anything of this magnitude before. Thank you. How could it be possible that this man was holding so many women captive in the middle of a busy neighbourhood? How can this child, who is now an adult, have just gone completely under the radar? How did they slip through the cracks? Curtains were never opened at any time at all, front or back of house. The only time you see them was sometimes at the back when the little girl would, she would turn around and pop the head up, pop back down again. Is it disturbing to you, Peter, to think that there was a child being held captive next door? I mean, as I'm talking to yourself now, it's actually bringing a lump to the throat. It's just the thought of what that child has gone through. At the time, I just didn't do anything about it. I mean, and I was so sorry that I did. Again, I didn't know what was happening, but if I did, I definitely would have done something about it. The case finally went to trial and Bala was charged with child cruelty, false imprisonment, four counts of rape and indecent assaults. At the trial, the two women that have managed to escape the cult, which was Leanne and Cindy, did take the stand to tell everyone just what happened in that cult. They gave harrowing accounts of how Bala would sexually assault them. He would rape them on a weekly basis. But most bravely of all, Katie also took the stand. She was forced to recount the horrific ordeal of the past 30 years of her whole life. And even though she was absolutely terrified that no one would believe her, because it is a crazy story. When you hear this, it is almost unbelievable. But the jury were completely on her side and Aravindan Balakrishnan was found guilty and sentenced to 23 years in prison. And side note, the suspicious deaths of Sean and O were never investigated. Bala was never charged with anything to do with their deaths. Regardless of what you say, he is responsible for their deaths because O died from a stroke. And if she had received medical attention, there is a good chance that she wouldn't have died. And Sean was either pushed from a window or she had jumped herself. Again, if she wasn't in the cult, if she was allowed to leave, she wouldn't have jumped from the window. So regardless of how you look at it, he is responsible for their deaths. In the aftermath, all three women, Katie, Josie, and Aisha, had to figure out how to rebuild their lives. For Katie, this process would be much harder because she didn't know anything about the outside world. She literally had zero experience of living independently, of living outside of the cult. And when Katie first escaped, the people that were helping her rebuild her life said that she had the mental capacity of around 10 years old. And she was 30, but her ability to do day-to-day -day tasks like just cooking, cleaning, general just looking after yourself, her mental age was even lower at around six or seven. But she has had amazing help from dedicated charity services. And thankfully, Katie has rebuilt her life. She has been able to reclaim some of the things that Bala had taken away from her. She was able to get an education. She actually went to university. She was even able to reconnect with Sean's mother, so her biological grandmother. Katie finally feels like she actually 
actually has a family now. Katie now lives in Leeds in the UK in a flat independently and she often talks openly about her experience in the cult, hoping that her story will help others. For 30 years, trapped in a house, part of a cult, brainwashed, imprisoned, told that if you do things wrong, there will be natural disasters outside. What was that like? What on earth was your childhood like? Well, not even my relatives, not even my family who I existed. No, not going to school, not even on the list of, of the people living in the house. So I used to think that I would be, if I had died, or if, they had, if my father killed me in, a, in rage, I'd just have been buried in the garden and I'd have died without even having ever having lived, without leaving a footprint on the earth. Locked away in a small bedroom, Katie has now decided to waive her anonymity to help her reclaim her place in a world she was denied. Even crossing a road alone is a new skill. At first it was, I couldn't find my way around and just get lost even walking down the road because everything is so big and just so enormous after spending all my life looking at four walls, basically. Nelson Mandela said about if you leave the prison with hatred and anger and bitterness, then you're still in prison. I felt like a caged bird with clipped wings, but now I feel that I'm learning to fly. And I have seen a lot of footage of Katie, many interviews, and it's honestly so crazy to think what she went through. And it's absolutely incredible to see what she's been able to achieve after the cult. She is incredibly put together. She's so eloquent and she is so strong and she's also full of hope and happiness. She doesn't want to hold on to any anger or hatred. She just wants to move on with her life. And Katie actually also published a book on her experience in the cult. It's called The Girl in the Shadows, My Life in a Cult. And it's so brilliantly written. It's an incredible story. It was the book that I used a lot for my research on this case. And I highly recommend that you all go read that book go out, get that book, support Katie. It is an incredible book. So that is the story of Katie Morgan Davis. Let's uh, end it on her because she is incredibly strong and I wish her all the best. I hope that she is like, you know, just thriving because she deserves it. And just one final note on the 8th of April, 2022, at the age of 81, Aravindan Balakrishna died in prison. And when the news stories broke about his death, that was the first time I heard about this case. And when I started looking into this case, I was honestly just shocked. My jaw hit the ground because I was just like, how do I not know about this story? How? How was this cult operating in the UK in secret for 40 years? And I'm now only just finding out about it. So yeah, I literally heard about it when he died on the 8th of April and I had to bring you this story straight away because honestly, Katie's story needed to be heard and I wanted to bring it to you guys, so yes. And that brings us to the end of this episode. There are no updates on this case and do check out the description for this episode because I will leave a link to Katie's book if you wanted to go check it out. Thank you so much everyone for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup. And if you enjoy the show, it would mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producer at Audio Boom Studios and I'll see you all in the next one.